0: Hi everyone and welcome back to RPG R&D. I am one of your co-hosts, Jess Geyer. I am one half of Wannabe Games. I'm a tabletop RPG designer and I am uh, very excited because I have a Kickstarter coming out tomorrow. <laughs> so that's that's what's on my mind.
1: So as as you're listening, folks, yeah. already out.
0: <laughs> yes, I am already so Already out and
1: rocking and rolling and yeah.
0: And that person's voice right there. That's my co-host, Craig Campbell. Hi, Craig.
1: Hi, Jess. Um, yeah, I'm Craig Campbell. I'm the owner of Nerdburger Games, and I've wrapped up a Kickstarter recently, so I know what Jez is going through, and uh, I also know what our guest has gone through on a number of occasions over the course of the past year or so.
2: Banana Chan, hello! Hello! Thank you so much for having me on again. Uh, I do have two Kickstarters up right now, so <laughs> I know the pain <laughs> of what's going on mm-hmm. in Kickstarter land. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself, Banana. Yeah, absolutely. So I am the owner and co- uh, sorry, owner and co-founder of a small box board game and RPG publishing company called Game and a Curry. I also design and write uh, for various other games for other companies. For as...
1: everybody.
2: For a <laughs> few different people, yeah, here and there. I've been doing some stuff. Uh, some of my latest work has been on John Blend the Banquet Hall, which uh, raised over one hundred thousand dollars one hundred thousand dollars on Kickstarter. Uh, and I co designed that with Senfilm Lim. It's being published, co published by uh, my company and uh, Wet Ink Games. I also worked on the latest, uh, the D&D fifth edition, uh, Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. Uh, I was a lead haunt writer for Scooby Doo Patrol at Man- Mystery Mansion. And um, I have some other stuff on the way. So, <laughs> it's <exciting>. big CV,
0: <laughs> really big CV. Yeah. <laughs> uh we're excited to have you on again thanks uh for coming and uh craig why don't you tell us about what we're going to talk about with banana today
1: oh we're going to talk about ending things
0: Mm. everybody
1: um starting with gming um and ending a campaign uh you know one of the things that i personally find i think most daunting um about running a long-term campaign is ending it in a satisfying manner and There's a lot of things that can play into uh, how you might end a campaign, uh, depending on the game, depending on the system, depending on your players and the type of game that you, you know, the style of game that you play. But we're just going to bounce some ideas around about uh, things that, you know, some ideas that might help GMs uh, figure out uh, how they want to end a campaign. Anybody have anything they want to start with?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I love one shots. Um, so I play <laughs> a lot of one shots, uh, mostly because time is, uh, you know, it's valuable. Like we don't always have a lot of time uh, to play long campaigns and to schedule things. And, you know, like adulting is hard in general. Uh, so when it comes to a campaign game, like anytime I do get to play an campaign game, uh, one of the things I really like to take from one shots is the idea of, asking each and every player at the table, what happens to your character, you know, two years down the line, five years down the line, 10 years down the line, like what happens to them? Uh, and then sort of giving them like this wrap up, right? Like, so like you are done with your character. What is, you know, what is their, their sort of epilogue um, that's, you know, that's happening. So I think that's a good idea for like ending something um, just, to, just to have a little bit of closure for everyone.
0: I do that too. Every time I do a one-shot, I ask the surviving characters. <laughs> Sometimes those can be deadly. Uh, what, what, what do you foresee happening? What do you, what do you think happens next? Um, and it, it's a nice kind of like it's when the credits are rolling, you get the the scene where <laughs> the freeze frame and then they went to law school or whatever they're doing with their lives. Uh, yeah. I've started, I, I love one-shots too for that reason, because it does give you a solid, Endpoint. point, you know, at the end of this session, we're going to be done with these characters. We're going to be done with this story. Maybe you'll revisit them some other time, but that's not a guarantee. Uh, and I like games that are designed in a way to give you a specific end point too. Like you're done with this game when you run out of all of this line of dialogue. You're done with this game when you run out of this point system or whatever it is, or when this plot beat happens. I like that a lot. Uh, but i also really 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 like campaigns i love like the big epic feel of stories i think that's why i got into you know games in the first place i love that epic long-term feel but even those long-term uh, like stories they have an end too you know they have their beginning middle and end it's no fun to pick up a fantasy series for example and find out that the last book hasn't been written for 10 years uh, it, that's terrible and i get that unfortunately a lot with my games that I play, cause I've started way more campaigns than I've finished. And it's sad, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think I'm alone in that. Um,
1: no.
0: <laughs> so I, I bet that there's something that we could learn a lot from those one shot, like one shot oriented type games or even how people do run one shots to determining how you're gonna get to that endpoint for something that might be lasting um, like 10, 20 sessions, even a couple year long sessions.
1: I, 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 hear a lot of myself in both of you and what you're saying. Um, uh, the epilogue for like, you know, a little wrap up at the end of the, uh, of the final game, or even like a session of just kind of role play of just like, like what, what happens to the characters? Like, you know, do they, do, do they, uh, do they grow old and retired, become you know retired adventurers and open a tavern and all that sort of thing? Or is there like other adventures in their future? Um, those sorts of things. But I found, uh, Jess, in particular, the comment that you said, like you've started a lot more than you've ended. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's true for a lot of GMs. And so I think one of the things to kind of, to keep in mind, maybe when you're gonna, when you realize that you are going to be able to wrap a campaign, like, oh, this is going well and everybody's showing up and we're, we're, we've got a clear endpoint, kind of insight, is to celebrate the idea and don't put too much pressure on yourself because just the sheer fact that you're going to actually have an endpoint. Mm-hmm. Is something to that's that's worth kind of you know patting yourselves and and your your players on the back for and you know just enjoy the fact because it is kind of rare, or rarer than uh, than the start of the campaign. Um, so be, you know be aware that you're not putting too much pressure on yourself. Um, and the way that I've managed to to do that is is I pay attention during the run of the campaign to uh, the moments that stick for the players, for the game, because there's going to be, you're going to run all sorts of games, have all sorts of encounters, all sorts of things are going to happen. NPCs are going to come and go. Monsters are going to be defeated. Superpowers are going to get used and lost and regained again, all that stuff. But there's going to be certain moments that are going to stick that the players are going to continue to talk about, that they're going to bring up in the pre-game chatter, you know, five months later or three months later. And keep it, keep those things in mind. Because those are the things I think that they're like, That's the stuff that really stuck for them. That's the stuff that they really enjoyed. And if you bring back a touch of some of those things in, in your, you know, final game session or two, uh, that is just, you know, icing on the cake for like they, they, they love this, this villain that they defeated. And then you you find out, well, now that villain has risen up as some sort of a lich thing and they get to defeat him again. And it's great. And, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, and, or, or if they had a great, you know. Maybe you had a session where everybody just hung around um, in a tavern gambling. Like why not have that be a big moment in your final game session or two, or maybe have that be how the campaign ends. Like after you do have the big defeat of the, of whatever the evil thing is or whatever was threatening the, the kingdom or the city or whatever is like, you know, wrap that up with an hour left to go in the session and say, okay, now all your, your characters sit down to play cards and dice and and have a drink. And, you know, there's a reason Next Generation ended with the poker game, because fans love the poker game. And they they buttoned up the series by having the characters that were regularly at that, that poker game sit down to play poker again, and the captain joins them for the first time ever. And they have that nice little moment. Yeah, Um, yeah, you can play to all that stuff, bring that stuff back
0: that cyclical way of storytelling that's it's a really nice way to tie things up in a bow some of my favorite novels have like that cyclical plot telling um of mice and men has has uh the beginning and the end chapters are in the same setting very same very similar stuff is happening and you can do that in a way that feels because ending a, ending a campaign is bittersweet. It lets you, everyone reflect on what has happened and, you know, get, gets them a little, little last chance to kind of like say goodbye to their characters too because they're saying goodbye to those characters and that story. Uh, I think for me, a lot of the campaigns that I've played in that have ended though end in fighting something or overcoming some sort of obstacle that was foreshadowed or even like attacked in the very first scene, uh, I setting that up as a GM, thinking like, okay, what is the main storyline? Think of yourself like a, like a novel writer, almost. There are certain plot beats that that novel writers follow. You have your characters in there. I mean, you can look up all these story beats. They exist online. You can find them, um, especially during November when everyone's writing a novel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like you start your characters before, like what's life? But like before this, major crisis happens to them. And what are they gonna do um, to overcome that? And that overcoming the obstacle, once they fit that overarching beat, once they defeat that, that's the climax of the story. Everything else is epilogue. Maybe you you might be wrapping up some loose ends, but it's like the story's dying down. But at the same time, you have to think about your characters too. Like what are the players? what do they think that their character story arcs are? Are those resolved? Do you wanna make sure that it feels like emotionally resonant for them too? I wonder if you guys have any hints for making it feel emotionally resonant for each of the characters, not just for the overall story.
2: Yeah, I think, um, so something that i found interesting with online lately too, is that um, even though it is easier for all of us to be in the same room, quote unquote together now, uh, you know, chatting online and everything, it is also harder to manage time. So uh, something I noticed that uh, a GM did recently was that we were on, I believe it was like a an email thread where the GM just like asked us a bunch of questions and was like, this is a letter that you're writing to the rest of the people that uh, your party basically. And this is a goodbye letter. So mm-hmm. answer these like few questions. And uh, Basically, like tell them how um, how your life is now and what you want to say to them, and that is how we're going to end everything. And so I thought that that was really powerful, um, and I would definitely like use that if you know people were you know running out of time or like you know maybe they didn't want to have like another game set up or something like that. Like I think that that's a good way of resolving everything. I love, and that would make me cry probably.
0: I was just about (laughs) to say. (laughs) I get so involved with my uh with my characters for these longer campaigns and that would definitely make me cry in a good way.
1: Yeah, be prepared for emotions. Um like Jess said in in and what Bananda describes here of, of writing a goodbye letter like you're, you're the players are saying goodbye to their characters. Um there's you know there's always the implied promise of like the reunion tour, the character, you know, the the party gets back together again to delve into one last dungeon or to uh, to deal with the supervillain once more. But yeah, they're saying goodbye. So, so be prepared to, to deal with all of that. And as far as the making sure that individual character arcs are wrapped up, it can be tempting and sometimes it works fine, and it, but it can be tempting to try to slam all of those character resolution moments into the action of the story as it's kind of wrapping up. But if there are a few arcs that don't need to be like resolved in the midst of a fight, because, you know, it doesn't revolve around the character getting revenge for their parents being killed because we all love, you know, dead parents um, in these games or, or whatever that, you know, has to play out, you know, kind of with NPCs or monsters or baddies or whatever. If it's a more personal kind of thing is you can, re- you can relegate that to, to those quieter uh, role-playing moments in the final session or two or in the epilogue. And just make sure you know and like again i'm, I'm a big fan of the checklist like you know kind of know <laughs> what every every player character, you know whatever player's character is kind of where where they've been headed and 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 hit on that to some degree for each one of them give give each one of them you know like their final moment in the spotlight
2: mm-hmm.
0: for for sure sometimes it can be fun to kind of drag out the drama a little bit thinking of one of my favorite tv series agents of shield and there is this drama between two characters that are Will they, won't they at the beginning? And then every single season seems like it's just fate trying to slam them apart. If you're a Fitzsimmons fan, you know what I'm talking about. It was drama, drama, drama all the way along. Um, And uh, it's fun to drag that out. It's in my opinion, if you, the longer you run a campaign, the more chance you have as a GM that it will stop before you're done. Uh, just because people are like that, it's hard to schedule things. It's hard to keep people coming every, every time. Um, my recommendation would be to try to keep it as short as possible. So when you have the opportunity to wrap up, um, or resolve some tension, do it when you can, cause you don't know when you're going to have that chance later. And it would suck if you missed a really good chance.
1: Yeah. It's okay for a character's arc for the characters, for like the personal arc that was set up in the first episode. To end two thirds of the way through the campaign, yeah. and then they mm-hmm. become that new person, and they they take on other challenges and help the other characters to attain kind of their goals. That's okay too. Mm-hmm. There will, you know, I would think many players will feel like that is a perfectly legitimate way to, like, oh yeah, okay, so we played that out. That's great, and now I can kind of play this character with that as part of their backstory.
0: Or they might even retire that character and bring someone else in. Mm-hmm. and and start a new mini plot but there's like the b plots uh, your a plot is the what you wanted as the gm like what your players of course wanted to do um in this campaign like what's the big crisis is it prom coming up is it a meteor falling from the sky is it godzilla whatever it is and then all those b plots are the little emotion things or the little side characters and um your and then you can have your C and D plots and your beach episodes and everything like that thrown into Yeah, I'm thinking about my current D&D campaign that I have not finished yet. Although I have a, I set it up because I knew I wanted it to be like, I just wanted to play a very cliche, go save the princess. That's what I wanted to do. So I know when they save the princess, the story's over. I know where they're going. They are like right before they're going to fight probably the big bad evil guy at the very end we just haven't come together for that story. And it's been eating me up. It's been eating me up so much. I wanna get there. I wanna get there really bad. Um, that, yeah, it's along the way, they resolved a lot of stuff uh, and it's great because when you have those little points of resolution, that's what keeps people coming back. Like, oh, the the, the the swelling of the tension and then the release, the swelling of the tension and then the release, that's what pulls people back into a story yeah george rr R. martin <laughs> <laughs> got angry there for a second
2: <laughs> and i think that like also on top of that like one shots they can always turn into campaigns right if not mm-hmm. mini campaigns um and the way to do that is always you know even after wrap up even after you've asked everyone like what are you doing like two years from now or whatever like, or like two weeks from now um having like that like credits roll scene and then at the very end fade to black and then you know, the scene starts again and it is that cliffhanger where um, maybe, you know, another meteor strikes the earth and something crawls out of it. Um, And then you just like fade to black again. And that's like your cliffhanger for potentially doing like another episode of the, you know, of the game or whatever. Um, So I think that there is like a lot of potential to just, you know, keep things going. I do find it a little bit harder when you're like planning something out and it's like you know uh, this really long campaign that you want to do and you know you're no it's going to go through like many many sessions but like when things start dying down it's probably a good idea to just like you know wrap things up quickly before mm-hmm. they start you know you start losing your player's interest or something.
0: I was starting to lose my interest just because carrying out a long d d campaign is really boring to me. I've once they get to really high levels and they're just kicking everything's but it's not really fun for me anymore. Um, yeah. So I'm trying to get to that point really fast there. I, I know that they will come back if I ask them to, for me, I'm the one who's losing interest. there. (laughs) That's a really good point with like a, a campaign doesn't have to be like, it could be a series of books. Um, like each, each little book has its full resolution. And if you stopped there, you'd be satisfied. And then maybe, the thing crawls out of the meteor. (laughs) Michael Michael Myers opens his eyes. Whatever is happening can continue. You have that nice little starting point. And and at that point, you can bring in new players too. If someone has to drop out of the campaign or or they want to retire a character, you can bring it back in or someone else can GM.
1: And something that strikes me too, because um, I've designed a game, Capers, where you can kind of do this. Um, and variations on this is that if you've got a, if you've got a game world where there's some amount of def- definition to like the history of the world that you're and you're playing the story in one part of the history, one part of the, you know, one time in the, in the, in the world's history, you can play that story out and have everything wrap up and then play the generational thing where you epilogue it, or even do like one adventure with new characters. Like these are the children or the grandchildren of the heroes that saved the day back, you know, 60 years ago and and play that out or take the characters like like uh you know they um they they wrap up the big story like even with like what jess said if you do like in chunks like here's a story here's a story here's a story and you kind of get to the end and everybody's kind of like well this is kind of like i think we're i think we're about done with this you know just using d d as an example you could say like jess everything kind of wraps out at like 10th level you know 12th level or something because that's where you feel like things start to You start to lose interest personally, Um, but you could just be like, okay, well then, and then, uh, you know, well, that all happens. The story wraps up this thing that happens at 10th level, 12th level. um, And then I would like you for next week to all advance your characters to 18th level. And we're going to have one session where you do some like big monstrous, look at me with my ninth level spells (laughs) and my artifacts and all this sort of thing um, as like the kickoff as the, as the button on the end of everything. Because your characters have survived this long, they 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 get to have like this big last hurrah, um, and and give the players the treat of being like, well, we never get to play this. Like, okay, here we go. What's my wish list? What do I want? You know, like yeah. what, what spells, magic items, and everything else, and just go go wild with that. I or, my or the children thing.
0: My favorite campaign, the the one that the gaming group I had to leave when I moved to Chicago. Uh, we started playing one campaign, I think probably twenty sixteen. Um, and that first campaign lasted two years and it was set in the 1920s. And we were all, you know, we, we completed the story. We felt really satisfied where our characters, emotional arcs went. We lost friends along the way. And then the next campaign was set during world war II, across the ocean in England. And we got to use some of like the NPCs or the other characters to create character backgrounds for our current characters. And it felt really, really fun and exciting. Because we knew outside of the game, we knew some of the stuff that had happened, and maybe we knew in-game some of the little snippets, and it just made it really exciting and feel really fleshed out. Uh, And then the campaign that I had to leave in the middle of was The Next Generation in the 1950s, um, back in California, this time, where some of our characters from the previous campaign had moved. So we know that they're around there somewhere. <laughs> um, and we know for uh, the campaign, it's, it's all supernatural, like occultish stuff. Um, and in that current campaign, we're all investigators for a supernatural magazine that says that they will pay $10,000 to anyone with proof of the supernatural. Now, the joke is we're just trying to cover up everything that's supernatural because we know we want to protect it. And we know <laughs> in the game, there are these secret founders and people who, um, what, do you, what do you call people who pay you? Like they.
1: Benefactors. They
0: benefactors. Secret benefactors. And we think. We don't know yet but we think that there are previous characters because they're out of our hands right now <laughs> oh, that's it's hard. so it was so fun because there's like it's like little inside jokes the entire time i that's a good strategy if you have a gaming group you can sit with for a long time that's a really good strategy it got me hooked i'm sad that i'm not there right now well what about uh our, our gming topic speaking that was of, our
1: gming topic
0: that was sorry, our sorry <laughs> Our design topic. Wow. <laughs> nice, my brain. Let's try that. That's okay. <laughs> okay. You want to go back I've... to jamming, guys? What about our t- <laughs> our game design topic?
1: <laughs> um, sure. Jess, what's that all about? We've managed to relate the two again.
0: Yeah, it's about when to give up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> when to end something, right? <laughs>
0: when I, I like when I read the the topics that were selected, um <laughs> had to Get campaign and when to give up, and I was like, oh okay' Just a little negative i don't think that they're negative though i don't think giving up is always negative i think it can be very good for you um, as a designer it's part of setting boundaries for yourself um, and i'm not talking about personally i don't know what you guys want to talk about but i'm not talking about giving up tabletop game design but maybe when do you give up on a game or when do you when do you stop uh, a certain project or when do you when you throw away a certain mechanic? I'm curious what you two have to say
2: about that. I do also want to talk about like folks who do want to give up tabletop game design in general. Like I think that it is a healthy thing to talk about because a lot of the time I'm seeing like a lot of folks who are monetizing their hobby. And it's great to do if you're really excited for you want to, you know, get into like making money off of your hobby, but it's not. For everyone, and this is like just me like speaking uh, from my experience and like seeing how like you know sometimes people like get into it and they're just like oh actually you know I don't really want to spend this much time you know trying to make money trying to make ends meet through something that I love doing because now it's sort of destroying the like the the fun aspect of it right Um, so I think that's something that we could also talk about as well though with game design stuff. it's also healthy to just like you know set things aside and be like hey maybe not right now maybe let's do something else um because like you know you have the most energy when you're passionate about something and i think when you start to lose interest in something then you just like can't create it's like harder to create Mm -hmm. and it would suck this is a i mean for
0: almost every tabletop game designer I know. I don't think I know a single one who don't, who doesn't also have the hobby of playing the games. And it would suck to be burnt out on not only, you know, your, your passion of designing games, but also playing them. Cause then you're not just losing like, like, sure, losing your side hustle or your, even your day job. That's one thing, but losing a passion in, in a hobby that you've invested a lot of energy into and that you like doing because you got burnt out from trying to make ends meet, putting, uh, putting stuff on an itch or drive through that sucks. That really sucks. And I, th- I think you're right, banana. That is something to, to talk about. I've seen people drop out mm-hmm. of, of game design because they were getting burnt out. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of sad, but
1: sure. There's, that- there's nothing says you can't do it. I mean it might be difficult to step away but keep in mind you can always return if you decide okay i missed that there were there were things that were driving me bonkers there were things that i didn't like about it it was stressing me out i so i got out of it um and you know there's you could you could come back to it um you could just tone down to very you know, like, I'm not going to try to design and publish my own stuff, but I'm just going to pick up the freelance gig every so often, because I love just like designing a little something for somebody else's property. Um, and, you know, you, you can kind of tail, uh, tail things back that way too.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely keeping in mind, like, that there isn't just like, it, it's not just like a one and done thing, right? Like if you wanted to do other things or like find other, uh, you know, things that you could be passionate about in the industry like it could be live streaming instead of designing games it could be um I don't know just like strictly playing instead of GMing all the time like Mm -hmm. something like that right so there are other ways of like staying in the hobby or staying in the industry doing the stuff that you love doing without you know having to give it up altogether
0: yeah that that's definitely true for me like in my in my personal life this hasn't happened to me with with tabletop design yet but Uh, I really struggle knowing when I'm getting bored of a hobby because of my ADHD, or I really actually need to, to stop. What do you think are some hallmark signs of knowing like when it is time to actually stop and it's not just because you're facing a challenge or becoming a little bit bored and just need to switch it up a little bit?
2: I think just like noticing that you might be getting bored or you might be like getting a little irritated at the the thing that you're working on right now. I think that's just like a sign to like take a step back and like take a breather, see what's going on, like, you know, maybe do a little bit of journaling and like try to figure out like, what is it that I want out of this project or hobby or whatever, right? Or, you know, the industry. And then if you still feel like you're not feeling like you're putting in, you know, the work that you want to do or that you want to, you know, continue doing. Then maybe it's a good time to like stop and or pause and like do something else. Uh, but if you're still invigorated by like you know the process by the the work that you're doing, then I would say like you can keep going at it. Right? Um, there's nothing saying that you can just like you know you can't just stop and like take a couple of weeks off or like take a few days off, take like a month off or like, you know, whatever, right. Just to like recalibrate yourself and like, just to like, you know, see what you actually wanna do with whatever, uh, whatever project you're working on and coming back to it later, unless you're like actually on a deadline that that's a totally different thing. But like, if it's like a personal, um, you know, passion project or like something that you're really excited about that doesn't require like a deadline or it's like a, a self-enforced deadline, then maybe it's okay to just see what else you can do with a project and take a break from it.
1: I think it might be helpful too, to keep an eye and an ear out for how, your, uh, friends and other industry people are at, you know, like anything that they're saying or asking you about, like if, if you are so frustrated with, with game stuff, design work, that, you're venting a lot or that you're, you know, kind of either in person, just talking to people on the phone with people, whatever emails or in social media, where there's, you know, you're, you're having to get things off your chest a lot. You might find that, you know, some people who otherwise were just like you, rah, rah on go to, you know, team banana or team Jess are just, are are asking you, Are you having fun? Are you enjoying doing this anymore? Because you seem to have to get things off your chest an awful lot. Are you okay? Because people will ask, you know, like good friends and and people will ask that sort of thing. And if somebody asks that, don't just you know sweep it aside. Give it a moment and think about it, and be like, you know, have I really been, like, am, am I am I just not noticing that I'm really unhappy? Um, because I'm, you know, game design is the thing I do and I know that there's frustrations and I just, you know, have been dealing with it but like, looking back at it and thinking like, wow, I, I really am unhappy with with some of the things that are happening here and that might, you know, cause, uh, be because for some, some reflection on all of this and deciding whether or not you want to take that break, um, or step away, um, uh, or change your approach, you know, to what you're yeah. doing.
2: Yeah. And I think like also a lot of the time, um, what's that term? Sunk cost fallacy. Like Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's always this feeling of I've put so many hours or so many days into this one thing. Like I should just power through this thing. Um, But I think like, you know, it, it depends, right? It depends on what the project is. It depends on like how you're feeling with it. Is it taking a toll on your mental health? like, is it taking a toll on your relationships, your life? Like, you know, if it is, then maybe it's okay to just step away. And um, this is just like, you know, me saying stuff out of like my own personal like experience. Uh, so like everyone's experiences might be different, you know, they, you know, it might, uh, some people, they just like working you know, longer hours. Um, but for me, I feel like if I notice that Something is just not working for me, then I would just like stop working on it.
0: I think that you, your um, advice to you, step back, reflect, journal, talk to somebody about it before making like that introspection, that's super important to do, at least in, in my opinion. And I think um, like I don't want to push everybody to be really reflective all the time. I have to be, otherwise, I, I, I you know, fall into very similar cycles all the time. It's important to do that consistently and not just when you're feeling bad or starting to feel burnt out, because by the time you get to that point, you've already started, your mental health has already started to suffer a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, That reflection process is really, it's a really important part of the creative process, Uh, especially when you're in a hobby that you're turning into a job that you're consistently involved with all the time. Um, I look at some people and I wonder like, you know, that you don't have to record every single game that you play. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to push out every single project that you make. Some stuff can just be personal. Um, it's, it's important to know and not get sucked in by the beast. That is, um, the dollar sign for this, for this hobby. What about, um, like projects themselves. Have either of you ever stopped working on a project and just like scrapped it and not put it out and why?
1: Yep. <laughs> yep. A bunch. That's why I said and why. <laughs> um well I think it's to 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 build what On what Banana said, which was, you know, having to do with like the sunk cost fallacy. Like there's, there's also in a kind of a broader perspective overview, sort of uh, look at things. There's you've, we have also all spent a lot of time and effort looking for things that bring us joy, finding things that make life worth living. Um, And that runs the whole gamut, right? Um, and for a designer, hopefully one of those things is doing the design. So if you've, if you've spent all this time trying to be happy and joyful and find things that you, that, that, that inspire you, that you are passionate about, um, you know, like if something is not getting you there, if, if, and if that thing is game design or some part of game design, like working on this game, I'm just not having fun with this. I feel like I've, I need to keep moving on it, but it's just not bringing me that anymore. Um, yeah, like that set it aside, like. There's um ideas are a dime a dozen. Every game designer out there and every, to be honest, every player in GM too mm-hmm. have a billion ideas and you'll continue to have ideas and you will never run out of ideas. And you if you start executing something and it's just not going there, you know, it it becomes a question of just recognizing that it's it's you're you're either stuck on something or it you're just not having as much fun with it as you initially thought you were going to. Um I mean, it happened with me when I was. Uh, capers came out and then I was, I committed myself to doing three supplements. So I was suddenly doing a lot of, I was going, I did a supplement every six months. And at the same time, I was toying with another game idea using the same system, the same, the, the dice flip or the card flipping system from capers. And so I was working on all of these things concurrently. And for a while, I was really excited about the other game. (laughs) And there came a point where I was like, but I'm getting my fix doing this, uh, the, the card flipping mechanic stuff and kind of, you know, iterating on that and kind of finding subsystems and fun new ways of to implement that. And I'm doing it within this game world that I've already created and I've got all these ideas for moving the, the timeline forward and doing all this stuff that it felt like a chore, even though I was enamored of the idea of the other game, like just working out all the mechanical stuff started to feel like a chore. I felt like like I want to be doing the mechanics like for this stuff, but I want to be doing it for Capers. I don't want to be doing it for this other game. And so I, I took it to the point where I had enough developed and I play tested at Gen Con with some people. I had um, concept art done. I, I sunk money into this mm-hmm. and put it on the shelf with the expectation that I may never return to this. Um, now as it turns out, I returned to it with a completely different mechanic. So I'm reinvigorated with, you know, I'm I'm loving the world and and developing that and doing it with a different mechanic. Um, but like there was like a two year period where I was like, that project's dead, that's just money and time that I spent that I'm not, I decided I, I just can't, I mean, it's just not getting there for me.
0: I have so many unfinished projects and hobbies and stories and games and video games that I've played and all of this. Um, but again, like some of that is because, um, I, I have this, this neurodivergence thing, which, um, like demands dopamine all the time. Uh, and that can make it difficult for me to stay on something for a long time. Uh, but if I like to try things out and I think that's a good thing about me um, I like to try a lot of things out and I have been really working on the not feeling guilty about stopping something that I said I was going to do or told myself I was going to do. Um, I don't think it's ne- it's kind of like sunk cost like oh my gosh I put so much time into this um and it, it, sometimes it's actual literal cost like there are a lot of hobbies I've started that I've bought stuff for and then I didn't do them um, but <laughs> mm-hmm. for me, rather than that, um, cause it's really easy for me to give things up. It's dealing with the guilt of not having finished it. Like I feel like I judge myself for not being able to finish something, even if I don't like it. Uh, I, I, it's, it's kind of really difficult for me because I know that this isn't just a problem that people like me have but it's, it's a big problem for me. It's like always there. You could look in, if you looked in my closet, you'd find some, some thin unfinished crochet projects and sewing projects and pencils and, and coloring things and all of this. Uh, it's just consistent <laughs> throughout my life. Uh, but I find it really easy to put stuff away. Too easy. <laughs> but uh, I, I just had to learn how to not judge myself about uh, if, if it is time to put a project away, it's not going to work. I, it, it, it sounded fun or it sounded like a good idea. It didn't end up being so, put it away. And luckily I have a partner like Alex. Alex and I work on game design together. So I have someone else to bounce that idea off of who probably started designing with me. Um, and we can decide together like, is it just because we are bored and want to do something else now or because it's not going to work and we should shelve it? Yeah, we shelved our first game that we, like our first big game. we wanted to start designing because it wasn't going to work with what we were trying to do and uh if we had spent more time on it it really would have sunk a lot of cost into it and we would have been wasting time that we could have been spending doing something else which
2: turned out to be moon punk yeah i think there is two things that are really interesting about what you just said um so the first thing is the guilt factor right like of not being it or not Finishing a thing, putting something aside, and feeling bad about it um, would actually, maybe you're taking care of yourself, right? Maybe you're just being like, you know what? This is not working out for me right now. Like, something I like to do is like, if I can't finish a thing, I go find something that's like, short like I know that is going to take less time to work on and like easy to finish so that way I'm just like I don't feel so bad now uh because I finished the thing like whether it's just like (laughs) I don't know 200 words or like 100 words or even like I don't know something short right uh and that just like makes the guilt sort of dissipate a little bit um and then you said something else that was interesting as well and now I've forgotten what it was crap (laughs) Uh, oh i guess um setting like uh like trying to finish a thing like trying to finish like the long-term thing and having like a a collaborator work with you Mm -hmm. i think like some of these games i think that like it's great to work on by yourself but it does help to work with other people and what I mean by working with other people is that like I, I do a lot of like collaborations, right? Like I work with Sen, uh, Lim a lot. Uh, currently I'm working with Sadia Bees on a thing. And the work gets split between all of us. Um, and so that like, you know, if someone's really excited about a thing, they would just like, you know, take that energy and like work on the thing for a time period before passing it on to the other person and the other person when they have like a lot of energy they can like, you know, make up for the rest of the stuff that needs to be worked on. I think like having a collaborator or like other people to work on the thing with you is great. Um, And that is something that also requires a little bit of like you trusting the other person enough to be like, okay, I'm going to just like pass this along to you and we're going to do this thing together. Um, So that way we can like build a project together um it also does require like a little bit of project management but I feel like it's worth it if you like really want to finish a thing yeah
0: yeah it is if you want to like I think that's the biggest thing and that's where the reflection comes in if you want to finish it if you actually want to and it's not because you feel like you have to that's when you know when not to quit but if you just if you don't want to and you've thought about it, you've given yourself some time to reflect on it and you still don't want to. You can put it away. It's no one's no one's living or dying based on your game. Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. You're not living or dying based on your game. Uh and I don't think there are so few of us that make enough money um and don't have another job that giving up the giving up game design for a few months or years is going to hurt you or make you miss rent if you're paying your rent on game design maybe that's a little different uh and <laughs> that's a job at that point and we can't always quit our jobs when we don't want to go but <laughs> that's a little that's i don't think that's everybody's most of our experiences with that uh but yeah having that having a collaborator is my biggest piece of go get yourself a collaborator <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, really I I hard I, advice. I find it,
1: it it's it can be helpful as well. I've, I have I do a lot of the work myself, but I do, you know, hire freelance people to to fill in gaps and stuff and I've done a few uh collaborations that are more straight up 50/50 sort of um I mean Secrets of the Viber Nile was just done. That's me and Shireen Gilchrist. Uh she wrote a lot of that, of that game. Um and uh yeah, it's it's handy. It's useful. Um but you know, there's, when you, when you give something up, like you're not really, you not you're probably never really giving the thing up. You're putting it, you're setting it aside and you may return to it. Um, there may be a mechanic that you work, you know, you kind of like, Oh, this, I think this could work really well. And you tinker, 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 and it never really quite gets there. So you just set it aside and maybe it, pops back up in a different game down the road with a you know, slightly tweaked well oh, this fits better this will work over here it might be the whole game idea or the like i, I tell this story occasionally uh, die laughing was 10 years in development because i i had a i had a, an idea for what i wanted the game the, at, at its core the game is uh, playing in a horror game one-shot horror game where your character can die and you still have something to do for the rest of the game that isn't just make another character (laughs) um and it went through a bunch of iterations i came back to it like uh, once a year or so every for just for years and years i kept kind of trying to figure out what is it what what does it need in order to give people something to do after their character dies that is meaningful To the game and keeps them involved in the story and it took a long time to hit on the thing that ultimately made it happen and that game went through like iterations of being like a story game more like fiasco it went through like being a card-based game gm-less um with with a gm very traditional very different you know very non-traditional it went through like just a, a ton of different ideas and that was just me not being able to hit on the thing that would make the game be what i wanted it to be but then also the flip side of that is i ran into this on when i did capers covert which is a supplement um i was developing rules for car chases um in the superpowered capers world and um i developed this subsystem that was loosely reminiscent of the uh of the game system in the original 007 James Bond game which was a bidding kind of thing which was very appropriate for James Bond because it's like you know James Bond plays baccarat and gambles and um, and it's a super spy. My my covert is you know Capers' covert is a super spy game, and so there's already a press your luck kind of gambling mechanic to the card flipping. So I had this other little subsystem that I put together and I thought, oh, this is great. Look at this. Look at this. Isn't this beautiful? All this like everybody gets three. If you're a driver, you get three cards and you bid and blah blah blah. And I put it out in the playtesters' hands, and all the play testers said, this is no. no this just. It's just, no, this doesn't work. It's going to be one of those things that you're going to have a car chase every two or three sessions and everybody's going to have to relearn the rules. It's so different from the core mechanic that it seems disjointed and it doesn't really fit the rest of the game. And, um, and so that whole system went away <laughs> because it just, yeah, like I got very clear warning from the playtesters that as much as I was in love with that thing. I had to kill that darling because it, it just didn't fit the game.
0: Yeah. That's such a, such a good experience to have under your belt to know when to (laughs) kill a darling. Sorry, banana. I didn't want to interrupt you. No, I
2: was just going to say, can I nerd out a little bit about like agile? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right, cool. So, uh, are you both like familiar with like agile thinking and whatever? Mm -hmm. Um, all right. So like, there's this one saying that they use a lot when you're like going through Scrum. Uh, f- so, for those of you who don't uh, know much about like Scrum or Agile or anything like that, it's basically like uh, high level, it is uh, a tech thing where people take a project and they uh, cut it down into little tiny pieces and then cut those tiny pieces into smaller, more manageable piece- pieces. Um, And those smaller, more manageable pieces are tasks that people will do uh, every two weeks. Uh, That's called a sprint. And then you would just like repeat the process until this thing is done Uh, or not really done, but like um, meets the requirements for like what their definition of done is. So um, there's this one saying that is like fail fast, fail forward, which I really like. Um, And that's just because like I, went to art school right like the the first thing that we learned is like everything that you make is not going to be good like that's basically what uh the critique section of like you know art school is where you make some stuff and the teacher might not rip it to shreds but your fellow students will rip it to shreds um and uh there have been instances where that has become like a little more problematic than it should be. Um, I think like nowadays, like, you know, it's a little different with critiques in school, but I think that that was really valuable for me to know that like the stuff that I make isn't necessarily going to be useful um, in everyone's hands, right? So like, it might be really cool for me, but if the goal of the game is to make, or the goal of the project is to make something that's usable for other people and not just me, then I think it's good to see what other people like out of it, see what people like don't like out of it, and then try to implement those changes as quickly as possible so that you can get another round of testing in. Um, so that's like something that that is really nerdy that I really like.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we did a version of Scrum for Moonpunk when we were trying to get that done in the first place. So Um, I I appreciate you nerding out about that. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to... I like what you said there. Not everything you create is going to be good. Not everything you like that you create is going to be good. You might think it's really good and it flops terribly. And um, you can... A lot of people like to make these bespoke games that like two people in the whole 8 billion people on this planet might like, and that's fine, but if you're trying to do something commercially where you're gonna have a general, more general audience, play testing is probably a little bit more important there and getting rid of things that you thought were cool, but no one else thought were
2: cool. Can I it's edit, gonna happen. Can I edit the word good real quick as well? Yeah. <laughs> I wanna yeah. like rewind and like redo what I just said about the word good. Um, Like I think that the definition of good could be different for different people. And it's different for like, whatever purpose you're trying to do right like it's Mm -hmm. it fits for whatever purpose you're trying to do if your purpose is to make something that's like really personal and like you know is good for like uh or sorry not good but like it suits like a small niche then Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe you succeed at that and that's like you know the definition of good that like you know fits within that that framework but if it was like you know something that's mass market you want this to be like you know you want this to sell like uh i don't know bajillion copies or whatever Mm -hmm. um and you know people happen to just not enjoy it or it's not fit for mass market then um, maybe rethinking like the way that you define, you know, your game or like maybe rethinking like the way that, uh, it targets a certain audience, you know, you could just revisit that and see if it'll, it'll be better in a different iteration.
0: That's such a good point. Good is such a a general word that we use as a catch-all for so many things, but maybe successful, and successful has different meanings too, but maybe that might have been a
2: better way to say that too. But yeah, good it also has
0: that weird moral connotation
2: yeah it was my bad for like bringing up that word so it's just like no no (laughs) no, let me edit that no no i i i 100 like
0: i 100 agree with you like i said if your goal is to create a bespoke piece of gaming that you like and you're proud of awesome but if you're trying to do something commercially the rubric is different yeah Uh, (laughs) the rubric is also different over time um, there are a lot of really, really successful games out there today that would not have been very successful in the 1970s.
1: There are games that are successful today that won't be successful in two years. Yeah. And that weren't successful two years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, because there, there are, there are fads.
0: <laughs> that's there that's another fads. thing too. There are fads
1: within role-playing games. There are certain things that catch on, become really, really big. Sometimes they get some iteration by other designers kind of pushing the thing and doing interesting things with them. And then they kind of, that's it. That, that's all they kind of do.
0: That's they're always thing. there
1: and people play them. They go back to them, but they never really, you know, and they never really gain a long-term life.
0: That's another factor that goes in whether or not you're going to shelve something, uh, put it in your drawer. And that's something that again i've been on i've been on author youtube a lot recently <laughs> and like when you're trying to get into commercial publishing the fads are really important like doing the dystopian battle royale thing uh, might be might start getting popular again because of squid game but for a while there it was like so oversaturated and now it's now it's dark academia that's that's the cool thing but if you were doing like vampires and werewolves now you might have to deal with the fact that you're going to have to self-publish instead of go through a traditional publisher. And again, knowing those trends and, and that might be sad. It might have been a really big passion project for you. Um, Luckily as, as indie game designers, we have all these outlets to publish things and it's probably going to find a niche somewhere. Someone will enjoy it. And um, there's a, f-
1: a flexibility that Banana was talking about yeah. where you can kind of just refocus what the yeah. thing is and be like, okay, uh, 70% of this will work even if I, you know, change this other 30% into something that's a little more appealing, perhaps. <laughs> if, if you know, like you said, if you're trying to get, um, you know, more people to to check it out um, and have a, a certain type of appeal that like, I'm, I'm not married to this 30%. This can, <laughs> we can thematically change this and it still has all these other cool things that I really like. Um, and then I can, I can push that forward.
0: You can always redo it later. If you want to do a 2.0 version, or the one back to it. Yeah.
1: you can always come back to it once a year for 10 years. <laughs>
2: yeah. And also if you do publish something, like if you self-publish something, you can always sell the rights to another publisher later on down the, that, down the line, you know, if something becomes popular again, or, you know, if werewolves and vampires become popular again, maybe a publisher will pick it up.
0: They're always popular with a certain type of people and that people is me.
1: Uh, Well, truth be told, we've already seen, we've seen, I think, kind of two iterations of werewolves and vampires, just like in our recent lifetimes, where there was the underworld, werewolves and vampires fighting each other. And that kind of had a thing for a while. They did sequels, and then there was kind of nothing. And then there was werewolves and vampires that are all friends with one another, or like maybe have some rivalries and things. Those like the Twilight and those sorts of things. The, the 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 vampire and werewolf thing will come back. If you've got some cool ideas oh, yeah. for vampires and werewolves, sit on them. You never know. Like like suddenly you see like two movies in a row that are like a, that are kind of a, a, like your idea. It's like okay, now's now's the time to hit the gas yeah. <laughs> on that design. Maybe you set it aside for a while.
2: Yeah, and what we do with the what we do in the shadows definitely proves that there is a long lifespan for that genre, um, even if it's like you know in a comedy genre, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: yeah, I mean, the vampire and werewolf. I mean, you know, Dracula meets the Wolfman. It's it's out there. It's it's been there. It's mm-hmm. we've had it for over a century, um, or for about a century. Um, you know, it's they and then then you know they kind of came and went with Universal, and then they came and went with Hammer. Um, and we you know it'll any anything that you can think of kind of like we had a big resurgence of cyber of uh like cyber cyberpunk and cyber tech kind of games mm-hmm. um is that going to tail off is it going to pop back up again in five years when something comes out on you know another video game iteration comes out or or some movie gets made that like everybody goes oh my god
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so hard to predict those kinds of trends and fads like there was a little time where there was like, like the sea shanties were really, really popular on TikTok and everyone was doing sea shanties. And then <laughs> yeah. that went away after like three weeks. And then like, they're like these fads, they come and go. Um, if you put something in the shelf, like you said, Craig, you can come, you, <laughs> and it comes back. <laughs> then you can push it out real fast right at the height of that peak. and Like, yeah, make it. <laughs>
1: well, I, I always think of, I always think about the mid nineties fascination with, uh, with swing music and big bands. <laughs> Um, like that, you know, for a year and a half, the cherry popping daddies were everything.
2: <laughs> <Did you all laughs> and- cherry
0: popping daddies <laughs> for, for, for pop? a year and a
1: half, my my ability to swing dance, because I took classes in college because it was a fun class. Um, <laughs> for for a year and a half, I was able to teach people to swing dance. That's so cool. And people loved me.
2: And you were king. <laughs> <laughs> I was Did you all see that meme where I was like, um, I think it said something like the reason why people got really into swing during the nineties was just because of the movie swingers. <laughs> 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 I don't know if there's so any truth to in that, but I thought it was really funny. <laughs> I did not see that.
0: <laughs> uh, I, I actually saw something on Twitter today about the weird um, couple years in the early nineties where swing was really popular. I remember seeing swing kids in my school. Like they showed it to us in, in, a, in a, not a music class. I don't remember <laughs> why. Yeah. I was too young for that
1: fad. There was a fascination with Gregorian chants about a decade or a little more ago.
0: What? Oh. Where there
1: was like Gregorian chant stuff was like on, on the charts. And there were people that were putting Gregorian chants in the backgrounds of other types of music. It, it, it's all, there's an audience. I made a game about beating people <laughs> up in an office. There is an audience for everything. It's just a matter. It's going to come around.
0: Yeah, there is. So there even, is. If you,
1: even if you shelve something, yeah, um, you can come back
0: to it, or you might be the trendsetter. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Well, this is this has been a fun conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how we ended up on swing dancing, but here we are. Uh,
1: I'll I'll teach I'll teach either one of you to swing dance if you want to at a convention sometime. I'll teach you the jitterbug. Yes. I still know how to do it.
0: Yes, I'm going to take you up on that offer. <laughs> well, like all good Bring things, back. this episode must come to an end, and <laughs> it's time to wrap up. As, as, as much as we've been talking about ending things, I'm finding it very hard to wrap up this podcast. Um <laughs> Thanks, banana, for joining us again uh and and talking to us about some pretty deep topics today. Uh is there anything you want to plug or places we can find you, things you're yeah. doing?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much uh for having me on the show again. Uh you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Banana Chan Games. Uh, and I have two Kickstarters that are up right now. One of them is just ending. So if this is going up tomorrow...
1: It's going to be Thursday. So Thursday. Be, okay. Uh, one, of,
2: one of my Kickstarters will have just <laughs> ended. Uh, and that is called An Exquisite Crime by Sanfon Lim and I. Uh, it is a GM-less, diceless game where you are drawing exquisite corpses and you are psychic detectives trying to figure out a crime while drawing them using those exquisite corpses. Uh, exquisite corpse drawings. Um, And the second game uh, is on Kickstarter right now. It is by Sadia Bees and I, is an anthology of 14 different horror LARPs where uh, all the games are set in suburbia or around a dinner table. And uh, they're all for adults. So this is like a very creepy, uh, weird anthology of games. Awesome.
0: Yeah, I, I was really creeped out by the mannequin in Goodbye Father. Very creeped out by that.
2: Uh, <laughs> we played with an actual mannequin. It was really fun. <laughs>
1: oh.
2: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it just didn't like how his head was laying. I didn't like that. It was creepy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Joska. You can also find my games at wannabegames.com. Uh, and I have a Kickstarter. Up. It will have been up for a couple of days by now for The Means of Magic. Uh, it's magic with a K at the end. And you can find that at bit.ly forward slash means of magic with a K at the end.
1: (laughs) And I'm Craig Campbell from Nerdburger Games. Uh, The website is nerdburgergames.com. I'm at nerdburgercraig on Twitter. Um, All sorts of games are on DriveThruRPG as well. And I am getting artwork done for um, Felt Friendship and Feelings, which is (laughs) a game where you play Muppets, but you're not Muppets because I don't own any of that, but you're puppet people, but you're Muppets. You're legally you're Muppets, distinct Muppets but you're not Muppets Legally distinct from <laughs> <Yes>. Muppets
0: <laughs> Exactly I'm so excited about that uh, Well our closing music is And our opening music both Is Avel by Steph Sachs which was given to us Under a Creative Commons license Thank you Steph Sachs and thank you all For listening and we'll see you back here next time Bye Bye Bye